right, guys, welcome to the HP Fit Podcast. This is a podcast that goes against the normalities of fitness, nutrition, and lifestyle to bring you value, education, entertainment for an all-in-one experience. My name is Hunter Pauly, the host and creator, and it is my pleasure to bring on our special and very first guest of this podcast, Nick Pinella. Nick is a doctor of chiropractic and owner of Axon Health in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Nick, go ahead and take it away and introduce yourself a little bit more. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Uh, I've known Hunter now for probably about, what, almost nine months to a year? Uh, I met Hunter by doing what I do best, annoying people through DMs and uh, making them become my friends. <laughs> so I basically, that's how Hunter became my friend. I was born and raised in New Jersey outside of Manhattan. Um, I was a troubled kid. I never was really into fitness. And then I really got into fitness. Uh, I was a cigarette smoker for years, so I kind of was like the opposite of health. Um, and that's how I found my way. I went to MPTI, National Personal Training Institute. It's basically the most credentialed personal training program. It's 500 hours, four months, not like you're over your weekend certification. Then I went to University of Central Florida and got my bachelor's in exercise science with a coaching track. Uh, I love being around people. You'll get to know really quickly I'm a major extrovert. We always joke in my uh, business association meeting yesterday on the top scale in a, in a personality test, the extrovert goes to 30. But they always tell me that I break that scale and I'm an extrovert of 60. So after that, I knew I wanted to do something more. I love education. I love learning. So I didn't know if I was going to go um, physical therapy or chiropractic. I had a best friend back home whose dad is actually the personal chiropractor of Odell Beckham. He, really cool, actually. Great, successful practice. But I also, like my other best friend, Billy Roman, his dad's a physical therapist. So I kind of got to see both of what they did. Uh, I just thought that chiropractic was more for me, not that either one is better valued than the other. They both help each other out a lot, and we can learn from each other. And um, I didn't have the grades to get into med school, even though I would have loved to have been a surgeon, but I didn't want to go to school for nine more years, <laughs> literally. So that's how I got into chiropractic, uh, where I met my wife. And then, you know, we graduated, worked for a little bit, realized that I never wanted to be an employee ever in my life ever again. It's not for me. And, you know, we, we took that leap of faith and that huge risk and we opened up Axon Health Corporation. And it's been three and a half months now. Yeah, and so just to add on to that, Axon Health um, also includes Nick's wife, who is also a doctor of chiropractic. So it's an amazing team that you guys have obviously created and like the company just kind of seeing it expand in the last couple of months. Um, starting from the ground up is is really motivating. So it's a, it's a, it's very um, I try and tell people and we won't talk about business a whole lot this time, but, you know, the the, the biggest the scariest thing with any business, as you can imagine, is, you know, going from two W-2 salaries to zero. But, you know, we have bills, life insurance, health insurance, all that stuff. So now you look at yourself and you say, wow, someone else isn't my paying my bills. I have to grind no matter what it takes. And sometimes you have to grind for six, seven years. Like I had a I have a, a friend of mine who's very successful. He said he lived off eight hundred dollars a month for five years. That's below the poverty line in America. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just what you got to do sometimes, you know, but, uh, but no, I love it. I appreciate it. You know, we love making content. You know that I have a couple YouTube channels and it's just a lot of fun. I think it's a lot of fun interacting with people that maybe don't know as much as what we do and trying to teach them, um, in a way that we're not belittling other people. We're not trying to put ourselves on the pedestal. I have plenty of people that say to me, you know, I don't believe in chiropractic or I'm, I don't like chiropractic. That doesn't bother me 1%. It used to, but I had to work on that and realize that these are separate human beings that can believe what they want. So Yeah, and I will just add the, the information that, that Nick and his wife, um, you know, the, the information that they put out is it's, it's great information because it's, it's at a level that someone that doesn't have any knowledge in terms of nutrition or chiropractic care can easily digest. And that's honestly very uncommon nowadays because a lot of people go into the scientific research and all this background. And then people end up getting very, very confused, frustrated, and then they just keep doing the things that they've been doing in the past and spinning their wheels and spinning their wheels. So Nick does videos on YouTube, Facebook, um, obviously on their Instagram page for Axon Health. 
They are amazing content. I recommend following their page on Exxon, Exxon Health on Instagram, amazing content. Um, but today, some things that we really want to discuss is mental health in the fitness industry specifically, and also how that kind of ties into body dysmorphia of where people start to feel insecure with the way they look, um, specifically in the mirror. So Nick, if you kind of want to take that away, um, I'm going to give you free reins, um, start where you want, and we'll just have a free conversation going forward. Perfect. So I think a great way to start is uh, to talk about my mental health background. So about 18 months ago, um, I developed very, very severe OCD. My, it's a light switch. I, had gene, I have the gene for obsessive compulsive disorder. A lot of people will say I'm OCD. Um, and, and they're not because OCD is a D there's a disorder and there's nothing wrong with that. No one could understand. And the, what I try and tell people is imagining what it's like to have true diagnostic OCD is like trying you and me trying to imagine what it's like to have no legs. We can only perspectively think, but you can never experience it. And that's completely fine. So my life, my life changed in a matter of one second and I was locked into OCD. I ended up in a mental hospital. Um, uh, OCD until about 12 years ago was categorized as the top 10 worst conditions to have by the World Health Organization and CDC. So when people tell me they're like, I'm OCD, I'm like, well, you do know that it was top 10 most debilitating conditions. And they're like, wait, really? I thought OCD was organization. No, that's just a quirk being clean. It's completely different. It's an actual disorder. And we're going to talk about body dysmorphic disorder versus bigorexia, which are not the same thing. Now, before I say anything further, I am not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I am a moderator and I do work for one of the largest OCD recovery platforms on earth, OCD Recovery UK, ran by Rob Bray. He has recovered from 10 years of purely debilitating OCD. I mean, being in a panic attack for, for 10 years, literally every moment of every day, you know, I am moving towards recovery now. So this is how I know a lot about the experience. So what do we know about how most people live their lives? Dr. Albert Ellis, who you've told me talk, heard me talk about, is the founder and creator of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Everyone has probably heard that term before, which came from REBT in 1956, which is called Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy. What is this? It is seeing things how the way they are. Prime example, if something cannot be proven or falsified, it's not considered rational thinking. So most humans will talk about deservingness and fairness. And if we'll use deservingness for an answer, there is no universal law that says deservingness is real. And if everyone deserved things, then murderers wouldn't get away with murder. And there's plenty of murderers that get away with murder. So there is no universal law and it's subjective. So a lot of people hold these very big irrational beliefs and most people, 99.9% .9 and I was the same way until I had to force myself to see that even if I was in a panic attack for 10 years, every second of every day, it would be uncomfortable, but not the catastrophe that we make it out to be. And what do humans do? Humans are very good at catastrophizing black and white thinking, believing in these higher powers, like, and people are allowed to believe and have faith. But if you attach that to an all universal meaning, it's usually not the best way to go about things. Um, so in the fitness industry, we know that almost everyone deals with conditional acceptance. Conditional is simple terms. You know, if I have bigger biceps, I'll be happier. Um, if I have uh, bigger quads, I'll be happier. And if you attach your happiness to something like that, when you no longer have big quads, you are now no longer happy and are setting yourself up for potential disaster. In cognitive behavioral therapy, through Dr. Albert Ellis, we have G's. All of us on the planet have a goal. In his 75 years of psychotherapy, he is... Pub, are you ready for this? You want to talk about, like, let's use uh, uh, Brad Schoenfield with 150, 200 peer-reviewed studies. Dr. Albert Ellis has 800 peer-reviewed published studies. He's written and co-authored 75 books. 
He is now the number one most influential person. He passed away in 2007, but in psychotherapy above Sigmund Freud. Um, and what he realized is, and why we don't use the Freudian way of thinking, Freud thought that the trauma was the main reason you were upset. Dr. Albert Ellis realized that if the trauma was the reason you're upset, then everyone that got into a car accident would feel the same way. Now, the trauma has a particular aspect of how it can shape your perspectives, but the belief you hold right now is the driving factor. So what do we see in fitness? Number one, what are the big problems? It is a purely subjective sport. There's no clear cut winner. These type of sports bring their own detrimental aspect to mental health because people will judge themselves off other people, which is conditional. So like, let's say you're a judge and I, oh man, like that judge didn't like the way my, my rear, uh, my back double bicep looked, but you're putting your self-worth on what you think of me, which is automatically a bad way to live your life. So fr frustration is good. Albert Ellis says, because frustration brings you, you know, if you're frustrated and then you can think clearly still, and okay, I'm frustrated. How can I go about changing the way I approach this? But what happens is we know when you're angry, neurologically, when you're very angry, you shut off your prefrontal cortex, your highly decision-making is bad. And a good example he uses is most people who go into a fight, not like a boxer, but they go in very angry. They usually fight ridiculous. They're not coordinated. They're not. And it's the same thing with like a poker player. Poker players who are, who are very aggressive and they're very angry tend to make foolish mistakes because they're not calculating how they're thinking. So um, there's little twerks that like people that, that they don't think is a big deal. But here's a prime example. And I think you and me, have pro I, I don't struggle with this as much anymore. It took me about a year to get over this aspect. A lot of people will not lift legs in a cutoff. Because in their mind, we know how it is. If I got inside their mind, a lot of people don't like looking at themselves when all their blood is rushed to their legs and their upper body might look a little stringy. That is the definition of conditional acceptance. That is a big problem. You know, like that's a problem. The other problem that you and me have talked about many times is people in the fitness industry will put people down to make themselves look better. You are an idiot, I'm the best PhD, I know more. That belief already is irrational. So you're thinking you are superior to another human because of your degree. And it's very, this has been shown in, in, in empirical data. People that get higher educations because of insecurity problems tend to give more biased care it's not the best care because they're always self-conscious. They have to put other people down. And this is not easy. We live in a world where people are judging each other 24-7. I try and tell people, social media is not inherently good or bad. Some people might need to balance their social media. I'm extremely ADHD. I have addiction problems. I have to balance my social media. Hour or two a day, I try not to use it. But... What happens is, is people will just scroll and that they don't have the cognitive awareness. What do they do? We've, we've both done this. I know you've done it and I've done it. You'll be like, oh man, like this person's, uh, man, this person looks better than me. Oh, I'm not that lean. I could be leaner. And when we look at our friends, cause I know both of us have friends that we follow. They'll make a post like this. Oh, I can't wait until next competitive season. I can't wait to get my lats or my quads up. I can't wait to, to look better, this and that. And what do they end up doing? They end up just in this never being upset, accepting of who they are. And it's just, it's not easy. And one thing that people will say is treatment resistant. So like maybe someone is treatment resistant from this. That's not true. Cognitive behavioral therapy works all the time, but maybe let's, let's, here's a good example. If you have been insecure your whole life, and you put your PhD on the pedestal for 25 years. You think you're going to get over that belief in a week, a month, six months? No, you're going to have to work on this for who knows how long. Some people, to truly get underneath and change their belief system, it might take them five years of consistent work, you know, and, be, and, and disputing, like, why am I so angry? 
It's because I'm afraid that I might be wrong. And as an RD, as a doctor of chiropractic, people like us were very afraid of being wrong. A lot of us are, and that's really, really, really problematic. So that's one side of it. I want to just interject here real quick. Um, so I think just to bring up, you know, a couple points, like you said, lifting in, you know, a cutoff with legs, I would totally agree. Like we've discussed that in the past, um, putting others down. Like I know, especially on Instagram, um, in general, it happens a lot, but I also see it in other Facebook groups. Once, once someone starts to learn more information about a specific topic where they feel like they're confident that they could possibly quote unquote teach someone else. When someone new comes into that arena or that group and ask a question that may be, you know, simple to the person or the individuals that know, it's like those individuals that know that information already, it's like they attack and, you know, put that other person down. So I totally, and I've, I've even caught myself doing that in the past of where it's like, come on, like you should know this. Um, and I think if you like, if someone says they haven't done that in the past, I would say you're you're wrong. Like it, it happens to all of us once we start to learn something, whether it's with cooking, nutrition, training in the gym. Like you're always going to like someone is. You've said that to someone in the past. Like it, it's a guarantee, one hundred percent. I really, it's it's a great point, and I'm happy you said a couple things. So, in in the book, how to stubbornly refuse to make yourself miserable, Albert Ellis's best book about how to dispute irrational beliefs. And where does this come from? It comes from Stoicism, the Greek and Roman philosophers 2,500 years ago that realized that nothing is good or bad, comma, only thinking makes it so. So let me give you a great example. In our society in America, murder is deemed hideous and evil. And what we do is, as humans, is if someone is a murderer, we call them evil, which is not true. They are a person who committed an act that we deem in 2021 as evil. That person cannot be entirely evil because they have done things that people found neutral or people like them, like Ted Bundy. I'm very interested. There's a, there's a new documentary series out that just came out about Ted Bundy. I've watched a lot of stuff. People thought he was charming. So if you think someone is charming, how can that person be entirely evil? They just have evil acts. So you said it's great because I do this to this day. I have to work on it still. So it's called the tyranny of the shoulds. Karen Horney was the first person to basically talk about this. And then Albert Ellis turned it into cognitive behavioral therapy. So when we say stuff like they should know that, we are now putting, again, putting ourselves on a pedestal of superiority. Like, why does this person not, why are they not as smart as me? You know, there's an underlying fear or belief under all of this stuff. And the problem with, say, mindfulness and meditation, and this is why we don't really prescribe this per se in OCD recovery, which is different because this is a disorder, but let me, the, Albert Ellis said it perfectly. Knowing about your problems will not solve them. So meditating and being mindful, mindfulness is step one. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of what's going on around me, and mindfulness has subjective meanings. But the, the basically the basis of mindfulness is that I understand what's going on in my life, and I'm just being aware. And Albert Ellis says, just being aware of your problems is like thinking you're going to be a good driver without driving. It, it's just part of the problem. But you have to go deeper. You have to see what your beliefs are and how they're irrational. And this was my... I used to be so angry all the time at people like this. And I realized that the reason I'm angry is A, I have conditional other acceptance, which means I only accept people conditionally. So what this is it. You just say to me, hey, Nick, I thought carbs have seven calories per gram. And I'm like, oh, what a fucking, excuse me, what an idiot. That's, that's fine. It's it's okay. You can say okay, it. I know I'm, <laughs> I'm from Jersey, as I said before. So you know, I like curse. Um, but like this person's an idiot. But what's happening is if if you were to tell me, oh, yeah, I know that there's four calories in a gram of carbs. I only accepted you because you fit my narrative. And that's conditional. This is really deep stuff. And the only reason I know this much is because of my OCD journey and because I studied this daily for now 18 months. 
And it's almost like learning a new language. It's learning the language of rational behavior and rational thinking. It also comes down to accepting yourself, even if it, even if what you're doing is unhealthy. So saying to yourself, listen, I've been judgmental for my whole life. This is what I had to say to myself. It's not going to change overnight. It's not going to change in a month. I'm going to slip up and I'm going to have compassion for myself. So, um, and that's okay. You know what I mean? And so this is a big thing that a lot of people really struggle with, including myself. And it's, it, it's going to be something that's going to take me maybe another couple of years to truly get underneath those fears. And what happens is, is when you live your life, Gary Vaynerchuk says it properly. He says, when he's at speeches, he goes, do you know how many people in this audience live their whole life based on what other people think of them? The cars they have, the clothes. And it's because they only accept themselves conditionally. This is a different way to live your life that 99.9 infinity people will never do because they don't know about it. And that's another thing too. Like as I was becoming more rational, Erica would hear me like freak out and be like, why don't these people understand? How would they understand? They're not going to understand unless they learn it. So what you, me, anyone in the industry has to realize is that the people coming to us don't know about what we know, but they might know, like I have a patient who's an engineer. So when, when I talk about like physics with him, we like, he, I must've looked like I didn't know anything. And it's very easy for him to be like, this kid is just doesn't know shit. Like, you know, so it's, it's all perspective and belief driven. And now real quick to talk about body dysmorphic. So it's called BDD, body dysmorphic disorder. So it is an actual disorder. So most people who say they have BDD don't, they have what's called bigorexia, which is just based off beliefs. They did a gigantic study in the UK and showed that eight out of 10 males that lift recreationally never see themselves as enough. They never accept themselves. There was a very big study that came out of the UK. I'm pretty sure you can find it online. And it all comes down again to unconditional acceptance. If you accept yourself unconditionally, you could still say to yourself, well, you know what? I don't like the way my biceps look, but I can work on it. But if I never get bigger biceps, I can still accept myself. And that's the, the thing. People are like, no, I have to. They add musts. I must have bigger biceps. Where is that written? Where is the universal law that says you must have bigger biceps? It doesn't exist. And because it can't be proven and it can't be falsified, it's not deemed irrational thinking. So that's the big thing. So when I guess I like how you said, you know, you must get bigger biceps um, to basically, you know, increase your happiness or whatever. So if we were to apply this into a real real life situation, um, for example, if we we're using myself, you know, instead of saying I must like get bigger shoulders and bigger arms, how would you reword that? So you're kind of moving towards that, moving away from that unconditional acceptance into that conditional acceptance, if that well, makes sense. So priming, oh, you, you, you said it backwards, but it's okay. So moving from conditional to unconditional. Yes. That's what I have to say. So, this is a great, there's a couple ways, a couple classic disputing questions that Albert Ellis used to teach his, his clients at the Albert Ellis Institute of New York. And I had to apply these to everything. So like question number one, where is it in reality that says I must have bigger shoulders? Where is that written? The reality, and, and the answer is it's not written. It's only where in my silly head. I made that up. So the way you say it is this, here's a conditional. I must, or I should, or I ought, should, must, and ought have bigger shoulders because you think that it gives you happiness or it will make other people think you know more and stuff like that. Um, the, the, the rational way to say that one is this, is I don't like the way my shoulders and my arms look. That's okay. I can accept that right now. Um, I'll do everything I can. I'll follow proper um, programming. I'll go from minimum effective volume to minimum maximum recoverable volume. I'll create the best program for myself and what my genetics will allow me to get. And if I never grow one millimeter of muscle again, I might not like that. It might make me frustrated, but I can still accept myself unconditionally and live a happy life. But nobody thinks like that because we're not taught that. We're taught to think like, 
you ha it's either black and white or or nothing. And how many people will, will say this? They're like, oh, well, my calves are, they just don't grow. So I'm just not going to train them. You, so many people, you know? So, so many people say that. And it's like they're, when they, when they say that, they're already like, they're already eliminating future growth in terms of like, you know, it could be another body part or, or whatever, but it's like they're already setting themselves up for failure by saying that they won't grow. Like I've tried, I've tried everything under the sun. I've tried different angles, high reps, heavyweight. I've done everything, but maybe it goes back to the way that they're setting themselves up from, from the very beginning with the way that they're actually approaching and thinking about training their calves too. And, and here's another really hard thing that, that people, this is even harder to accept. I'm going to try this, this new strategy in life, whether it's lifting or finances, and it may not work. Like our business may fail in eight years from now. And that would be frustrating, but I can accept that. Most people say he calls it, you know, so itis, ITS, in doctor terms, that means inflammation. So when like someone says uh, pancreatitis, that's inflammation, itis of your pancreas. So he calls it, Dr. Albert Ellis is genius. He called it, I can't stand it itis. It's a huge problem because what happens is, and this goes way beyond lifting. When you constantly say stuff like, I can't stand it. Well, you can actually, because you're still here and you are standing it. It's just not comfortable. And humans are very, very, very bad with uncertainty. We, we, we want certainty. Nothing is certain. And we want comfort. And as we know, I'm not big into like cliche statements, but this is very true anecdotally. I don't know that many people that grow in comfort. You can, you can learn. You can absolutely learn and grow in comfort. But do I think anecdotally you're going to learn a lot more from falling on your face? I do. And that carries over to having as... Another thing that Dr. Albert Ellis has a, a big problem is called LFT, low frustration tolerance. I struggled with this so bad. So if you and me right now were to go to, what's a good example? Go to a ketogenic seminar. And we were like, we set up a booth, like, like the guy on campus with the white, you know, change my mind. <laughs> yeah. Change, just for fun. Change my mind. I think keto is not optimal. And we got into people were yelling at us and people were screaming at us, but some people were having good conversations. We never got angry. We might've gotten frustrated, but we put ourselves in these situations that makes us have difficult. There's nothing that will grow you more with low frustration tolerance than engaging in conversations that you don't agree with and hearing the other person out. Cause what do humans tend to do? We, we like to be around our tribe. A professional bodybuilder isn't going to a CrossFit gym. You know what I mean? Like they're staying with other professional bodybuilders and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But if you really want to work at opening up your perspectives and seeing things from other angles, here's a great one. We're not going to name any people. And I like everyone in the fitness industry for who they are. I, I accept all of them, even if I don't agree with the delivery methods. There are some people that we both have talked about that are very aggressive in the way they approach people. Very aggressive. They call people stupid and they belittle them. But what happens if you sat back and you just listened to that person and you got angry, but you didn't try to, you just let that anger sit. You felt it. You felt that emotion. You felt the anxiety. You thought you, maybe you took 10 minutes to respond and you were said, you know, Hey, look, I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, maybe you don't know about this here. Let me show you what the research says. That is so much more productive than this. You're a dumbass. Oh my gosh. You, you moron that doesn't do anything productive. And then here's the argument that those people always use. Well, that's the only way they're going to learn. Not true. Where is that proven? Nowhere. That's not a universal law. We just believe that because we think subconsciously that we must, must, or should teach them a lesson. Oh, I have to teach them a lesson. I made a very controversial post on my page the other day, my Facebook page, about 
hitting kids. It was a very controversial post. Some people told me I was dumb. My financial advisor, who I love, said kids should be hit. And I had to see where all of them were coming from. He's 55. He grew up in a different time. But if I just said this, Hunter, if I just was like, well, you're a dumbass, man. You don't see. That's not productive. You have to accept that that is a different. You you are Hunter Pauly. You are a different human being than Nick Panella. You have different experiences. You have different thought process and different beliefs. You and me cannot agree on anything. Nothing. And we could still be friends. But what does everyone do in fitness? They get into the, oh, you're, you believe in single muscles? Ah, you're an idiot. I can't hang out with you. What? What happens if you guys like the same music? What if you guys like the same, go to EDC? What happens if you guys both like talking about pizza? But you cut that person off, off of one, one belief out of millions that they have. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's pretty interesting because I, I used to engage in a lot more interactions with people, uh, specifically when I was posting more information where it could be debated. So with, with anything I feel like specifically that's science based or like, so nutrition, um, you know, physical activity, exercise science, like that stuff is so like it's debated so much because there's so many different people out there that have different views on those types of subjects. Um, so like you were mentioning, you know, the individual specific individuals on Instagram that call people dumb or idiots. Um, it's, it's kind of funny because when those individuals call those people idiots or stupid, it almost like sparks a, a further reaction in the person that made that initial comment and they're, they know that if they keep responding, it's just going to keep feeding that fire of the person that, you know, posted the original content. And as a person who posts like that original content, you know, it, it's almost a way, it is a waste of my time and my energy to get angry in a sense of this person's like, he's totally wrong. So here I am, I'm just going to obliterate him in the comment section. And before I know it, I've spent two hours at getting nowhere with this person in terms of, Nowhere. you know, yeah. And it's like, I've just wasted two hours of my day that could have been spent somewhere else instead of arguing with this person. I don't even know through an Instagram or through a social media app in general. It's very difficult to do that. And I'm happy you said that because the other side of that coin is this, these people it's so for me, this is the other side. So that maybe they will be like, you're dumb, you're an idiot. And then I'll get mad and, and then it's a, it's a circle. So what I have to say is this, you wanna ask another rational way to dispute? X person. Yes, I don't like X person's delivery. I think it could be better, but they've been doing this for 20 years. That's who they are right now. It doesn't mean they can't change, but I have to accept that for who they are. And even if they are aggressive, and either if they, even if they call people idiots, they might be a, a good father, have a good father trait. Maybe they donate money to charities. Uh, maybe they um, uh, are volunteers. So there's other aspects that we deem in society as good aspects. Now, just because you're, a, you're nice to someone, remember, that doesn't mean you're a nice person. That just means you are a human being who's being nice. And again, that goes back to attaching yourself. So what do people do? I'm a good person because I'm an actor. No, you are a person who is an actor. I am a good person because I play football. No, you are a person that plays football. And people say to me, well, what's the difference? Because you're no longer going to be a person who plays football at some point in your life. So now subconsciously, you're no longer a good person because you're no play football anymore. That's why people are just people. We are just humans alive floating on a rock in space and we have good traits and we have bad traits and that some people have more bad traits that we deem and those traits that we look as as good and bad are what's deemed right now in 2021 so the example about murder people will say oh murder is a terrible evil act well what if you lived in a cannibal tribe in 600 bc murders looked at as 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 great. Oh, you murdered that person. That's amazing. The, the act is the same. The belief is different. 
And the best example, which I've given you before, that Albert Ellis, when I first was learning about this, because it's perspective shifts. That's how you start to change the rational thinking. You start to have these perspective uh, wave shifts. So as he described it, if you're on a train platform and you're facing the train in Manhattan and you're waiting for the door to open and I'm behind you like this, I'm poking you. I'm just poking you. You had a rough day at work and you're just like, oh man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna freak out. I'm gonna freak out. You turn around and you're like, ah, but I'm blind and I'm poking you with my walking stick. You go like this. Oh shit. Oh my gosh, sir. I'm so sorry. The situation didn't change. What changed? Your belief, your, your perspective on the situation. That is the number one easiest conceptual way to realize that no situation is good or bad, only thinking deems it so. What happens if you and me got zapped? This is an extreme example, but it's a good example. If you and me got zapped to another galaxy and we were, and they, were, they said this, oh, every year you have a quota. Oh, you have a quota. You got to kill 20 people. That's, that's amazing. And you're like, what? What do you mean? They're like, oh no, that's that's how you 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 get the more people you kill, the the more you get in life. And you and me would say to ourselves, where are we? But they would look at us and we'd be like, murder is deep. We we lock people up for murder. And they're like, what? That's an extreme example, but a good example to show you that it's just based off of. I mean, look at the way that we looked at women, our beliefs about women in the '60s and '70s. Stay-at-home moms. They were, they were inferior to men. Women are still alive today. Our beliefs about them have changed as a society. So societal beliefs are major factors in mental health as well. Science, statistically speaking, very highly irrational areas of say, and again, this is not putting anyone's religion down. Mental health problems are a little bit more prevalent in societies with black and white thinking, Hasidic Jews, the Arab and Muslim culture, uh, the J Chinese and Japan culture, because they're very strict on schooling. And this creates a lot of mental health problems when you don't know the teachings that I've been studying. You know, this is why if this stuff was taught in school, we do believe this, at a young age, people would be able to handle life problems probably more efficiently. You can't say for sure, but statistically speaking, it's, it's, you know, we just have a lot of irrational beliefs about humans um, as human beings. It's just what we, it's a lot easier, and you and me both know this, how much easier, well, you just said it perfectly, to be like this. You post a post on Instagram, someone doesn't agree with you. It's so easy to be like, you're a moron, like, I'm right. Instead of seeing their perspective, maybe they don't know. They, they probably don't know. And here's the end. If they never listened ever, that's fine. You can't make anyone listen. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, you can't. It's just a, that's an irrational belief. It's irrational to think that you have the ability to change. To, as me, Nick Panella, I can change your, your thought process. You have to make that realization yourself. Most people never do. And you have to accept that. Most yeah. people are not going to see nutrition how you and me see it. They're not going to see it that way. Yeah. And I, like you said, it, it all kind of starts to like where you first got exposed to certain things. So like, you know, maybe you got exposed to nutrition um, through a keto website. You know, that's how you based all all your prior nutrition knowledge on that type of, of learning from that website. Maybe you got all your your training, you know, like beliefs and education through you know, and I'm not like calling it out, but like Instagram swipe workouts or, you know, and an, a shitty ass article written on bodybuilding.com saying you need to do, you know, six exercises per workout and you need to start at five, five sets and you need to go up to 10 sets. So I think it's a really good approach, like you said, of, you know, instead of like just attacking people on social media or even in person, taking a step back and saying, you know, my beliefs are from these learning experiences, but I don't know the beliefs of where this individual is coming from. So I think that's a really good point that you brought up. It's very, it's very great, great point, Hunter. And it's really hard to say that. And 
Uh, and then I think we'll, we'll transition to a little bit from the mental health stuff, but I think this is a good way to end it. In my business association, my, my chapter of BNI, I have very successful business people, people that own companies, um, whether it's a manual labor, uh, high ranking, all state Asian. I have a, a very successful realtor in my chapter. President is a very high up person in Vectra bank. And he said two weeks ago, that the reason that The Rock is big was because he drank a lot of water and it filled his muscles out. Exactly. So the you and me, I'm like this. <laughs> but it's so easy for me uh, to just say to myself, what an idiot. But then if I'm rational, I'm like, well, he's not an idiot as a person because he's very successful. So he's good at what he does. He just doesn't know. So when he said to me, we were talking about PPP loans, which I still don't know what they are. He had to dumb it down in like, like coloring book talk for me to understand. That's how you and me, the best awful way to approach someone is first of all, never put them down for the stuff they've been doing. How many people do that? Oh, you've been doing keto. You're so dumb. Oh, it has keto been working for you. Do you know who's really good at doing that? He's the best out of everyone I've watched on YouTube. The person who I could see, I don't know him just from my perspective. Jeff Nippard is pretty good at like his clean eating. He said it was so good. He said, Hey, look, even though the science doesn't say that clean eating is the most sustainable, maybe not the, the best for psychological, but if you do it and you enjoy it, that's awesome. I was like, Oh my gosh, that was amazing. Because it's so easy to say, clean eating, you dumbass. But maybe they enjoy it. And then the other side of that is, yes, are doing single leg squats on a BOSU ball the most optimal? But what do we forget? Evidence-based triad, empirical data, anecdotal experience, and patient preference. And everyone forgets about patient preference. So I say this to someone, I say this, hey, look, doing what you're doing might not be optimal. There's no studies to support it. Do you enjoy doing it? Be honest with me. Do you enjoy jumping on a BOSU ball with, a, with your weights? And they say to me, absolutely. As long as you know the risk, go at it, your life. Yeah, so I just, I wanna end this section before we go into the, the next one, which is kind of two points. Um, like you said, if you, you know, if someone enjoys doing something and they can sustain those habits, like you said, it may not be the most optimal way to do things, you know, with, with keto, for example, like maybe someone really just, they find it sustainable to do keto. Maybe they really enjoy it. Is it optimal for their long-term goals? Probably not. But at least that's something that they can find joy in and they can sustain versus if they were to switch to, you know, a regular high carbohydrate diet, they not, might not be able to sustain that, you know? Exactly. So keto for them is good. You know, keto for me, not good. I couldn't sustain it. No you way. Know? And no it, like way. a majority of the other individuals, um, they can't sustain keto for a long period of time, especially if you have a busier, busier life, if you're going out a lot, um, if you're eating with a family and stuff like that. And then the last point that I wanted to just bring up too is that awareness of certain topics does bring change too. So it's not to say that you have to go in to, with a fighting mentality and start arguing with these types of ind individuals, but if you start to bring some awareness, that can possibly lead to change as well. So for example, if we go back to the, you know, the individual with the, the rock and like drinking a lot of water, you know, leader, leading to bigger muscles, you know, just bringing some awareness and like saying, oh, that's really cool. Um, but maybe like I heard this of like, you know, for example, like just stupid, dumb down information, but like lifting weights and like, you know, consuming an adequate amount of protein and, you know, progressive overload actually leads to like bigger muscles too, you know? So I think that's just, it's kind of like reframing, rewording and, not just going straight to attacking the individual because of their beliefs of what they've they've had in the past. Great point. And that was a great talk to talk about the mental health because I really, am, as we've talked about, I am very, very, very passionate about getting mental health awareness out in bodybuilding, especially an IFBB female bikini and female physique. 
because a lot of their coaches maybe just don't know. They've been doing the dogmatic stuff from the 80s. They make them do two, three hours of cardio a day. They eat like nothing. And it's just this very, the, the mental health with them is really bad. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a passion of mine. But that was a great talk on the mental health, man. I, it, I'm, I love talking about that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think we should kind of transition into the next topic. Um, basically, chiropractic care. So you kind of mentioned in the very beginning, but there's a lot of beliefs that chiropractic care is not, it's not good. Um, specifically spinal manipulation. Um, you know, you see, you pe- hear people talk like, oh, like he's twisting my spine like that. He's, you know, the way he cracks my neck, it's like, it's not good. So kind of just, you know, a short introduction and talk about how you approach those type of individuals. And as a chiropractor, the implications of how it can be beneficial for long term. So the first to start off, let's start with at least a couple minutes of research. The reason that chiropractic research is hard to quantify is because it's hard to have a randomized controlled trial with so double blinded and give a sham adjustment. It's hard to give a sham adjustment. It's very easy for me to give you a sugar pill. That's why medication is one of the easiest things to run a trial on at the highest level of a meta-analysis because or systematic review is because it's very, very easy to blind people and say, sugar pill, not sugar pill. It's hard to give a sham adjustment. Um, so uh, there are chiropractors that I'm sure if anyone watches this, they, they, we call them straight chiropractors, 1905 guys. You go in there, you're in there for three seconds, they adjust you and you go on your way. I know a lot of people that have helped a tremendous amount of people in a 40-year career doing that. I mean, gotten them to not have surgery. Is that the way I see it? No. Do I think that they're stupid? I used to. I used to be like, they're dumb. That's quackery. But I got to think they do enjoy that. Now, there is a guy. His name is Dr. Jeff Langmaid. He has the most watched podcast. It's called The Evidence-Based Chiropractor. Every week, he reviews brand new or a year old current literature in chiropractic. He worked in an orthopedic outpatient practice, people coming out of surgery or people eat sometimes uh, maybe needing surgical intervention. He worked with orthopedic surgeons. He worked with physical therapists. I worked in a multidisciplinary practice before my own practice with my wife. So I worked with other professionals, which in my opinion does yield good results because you can get different philosophies from other people. So, cause we all approach things a little bit differently sometimes. So spinal manipulation itself has, there's a lot of really good stuff for acute stuff, acute care and stuff like that. My belief, which is mixed with current rehab literature and also chiropractic literature is this. We'll use a very basic example I use. We've all heard this from someone. Yeah, I go to the chiropractor once a month for like my pain. It's better, but like it never went away. Or I go like three times a week and all this stuff. The research shows this. This is the current guidelines for spinal manipulation. If you have an acute injury, 10 to 12 visits over six weeks, catering that from passive to active. People that stay in passive care, grasped in, only get massages, they do no stabilization, no exercises, active as we know, the patient is not involved, don't see the best results. So going for, let's do it. If you come into my practice and you, and you threw your back out and your quadratus lumborums, your back muscles, your, your uh, erector spinae are, are spasmed, I might need to see you three days in a row to get some mobility into your facet joints through spinal manip- manipulation, side posture adjustment. As the pain starts to decrease, as your range of motion starts to increase, Now I'm adding in stabilization. Maybe it's prone lying extension. Maybe it's cat cow holds. Maybe it's dead bugs. I tell people, you can get all the spinal manipulation you want long-term, but if you have a very weak core, if you have a weak core postural muscles, it more than likely is not optimal. So I'm a very multimodal chiropractic guy, and I've told... Do you know as a chiropractor, when people, this is how you really gain trust. I'll say to them, hey, look, spinal manipulation is great. I know the literature. I know the neurophysiology, how it works. I really think you're going to benefit from myofascial release. Hey, look, here's a guy I work with in my BNI. 
Um, his name is, I'll use my, got Michael Hill. He's a massage therapist here in town, mobile. Here's his number. Go get a couple massages, come back and see me, and let's go from there. And they, I had a woman last week tell me, I thought you were going to tell me you needed to see me three times a week. I was like, no, but it's so easy to say this. Just how it's easy for you to say, to think going back to being like, what do you mean this person told the macros don't matter? You know? Mm -hmm. So there's chiropractors that still are stuck in that old school. And this is not just chiropractors. There are medical doctors that are still prescribing opiates for ankle sprains. They did a longitudinal study, 20 years, 1999 to 2019, on primary medical doctors for nonspecific low back pain. The reason we call it nonspecific low back pain is because it's nonspecific. They don't know what's causing it. There's no tissue pathology. There's no disc. There's no anything. They don't know what's causing it. And that's a total different conversation going into the psychosomatic fear avoidance behavior. So they're 30%, 30% of the people over this 19, 20 year study were getting prescribed hydrocodone and Oxycontin for low back pain. That doesn't follow one millimeter of guidelines, but that's how they've been practicing for 30 years. Yeah, I, and I, yeah. So inter interjection here. Um, I working in a pharmacy for probably about three years. You would be so. I mean, not Nick specifically, but you'd be so surprised at the amount of pain medications such as um, hydrocodone, um, oxycodone, all like very very powerful painkillers, and the diagnosis that was being put by the doctor was just low back pain. That's it. And I'm not talking just like 20 tablets. I'm talking. 120 tablets per month to where these people are taking sometimes three to four tablets a day because they're suffering from this lower back pain. So it's, it's a common problem, um, for sure. Like specifically within chiropractic care, obviously too. These are the people, this is what the evidence shows. I'm going to get, I'm going to tell you the reality of when people need an oxycodone or a hydrocodone or morphine compression fractures seatbelt fractures, um, severe, severe spinal stenosis that's causing incredible, ridiculous symptoms, burning down their legs. They need a, a micro, maybe they need a laminectomy, maybe they need a microdisectomy, spinal decompression, leading up to surgery. But as soon as that surgery happens, it's time to wean them off those medications, get that stability going. This is my favorite thing to say to people. Oh man. I have a spinal fusion. I can't do anything. That's funny. Do you know who has a spinal fusion at L4, L5? It might be L5S1. I think it's L4, L5. Matt Frazier. He's won the CrossFit Games five times in a row. He has a spinal fusion. The dude is literally a... He even said, he goes, my orthos were like, you'll never be able to lift again. That's not true. It might make it a little bit more difficult biomechanically. You might have uh, more early onset arthritis, more arthritis because your biomechanical dysfunction. We've talked about this because you have scoliosis. It, yes, but does that mean it's going to stop? No, no. But these old school thinking, I try and tell people, a lot of medical doctors are, are taught like this. Pathology, fix it. The end. They don't have time to do lifestyle rehab stuff. That's why we have chiropractors, medical doctors, RDs. That's why we have people like us because I'm sorry, if you work at St. Francis Hospital, the bills are not being paid by $125 an hour consultation. They need to do surgeries. That's how they make their money. It's just business. That's how it goes. So you have that perspective. But, but absolutely, I, I get asked this. This is probably the most common question as a chiropractor. Are you anti-medication? And I have said this next sentence a million times. I am not anti-medication. I am anti-stupidity when it comes to prescribing medications. Mm. I'm sorry. If you have an ankle sprain, a bad one, let's say like a grade two, it's pretty black and blue. We're going to start with some passive. Maybe we get some light mobility in there. Let's do a little couple uh, passive range of motion. Maybe we'll do um, uh, some heat or whatever, you know, heat, ice. The research is inconclusive, always has been. Um, cause it's purely subjective on how they feel unless it's acute. Like if someone has a bursitis, like an inflammation in their hip joint, you want to stay away from heat. 
Obviously, they have a they have a severe infection. Stay away from heat. But anyway, graded to going into active loading, slow eccentrics. What do we know about the rehab research? Isometric holds and slow eccentrics are very important for rehab. Another thing that people misunderstand is there's a difference between hypertrophy and strength and rehab. They're, that's different. They have crossovers, but that's different. The research is very clear with slower eccentrics, more controlled, and doing stuff like that in a graded response, looking to strengthen the area of concern and lead to an active care. But I have people that say this to me, like, you know, hey, look, like, I know that I don't need to see you um, uh, every other week forever. But look, I really enjoy spinal manipulation. I enjoy your education. Um, it makes me feel better. It helps with the heavy lifting. I say that's amazing. I'm just saying that you don't need to see me every week forever, but there are a lot of people that like that. Again, patient preference. You know what I'm saying? You might have a client that says to you like this, hey, Hunter, I want to see you two times a week for a year. And you're like, well, man, that, that's, a, that's a lot. You know, you might not need that. And they say this to you. Yeah, but it keeps me accountable. You're like patient preference. I already explained to them the research, the anecdotes. I don't think you, you need it. The research doesn't say you need it. But if you want it, that's your life. And I explain to you what you need and go from there. That's yeah, really I, think, I think like, you know, so like Nick uh, mentioned, I do have scoliosis. So I, I was kind of, it was kind of frustrating because I've been going to the chiropractor for a while um, and then it wasn't until I actually got a chest x-ray that I like basically self-diagnosed myself with scoliosis because I saw my, the, the spinal curve and then I got a, a full body and I, I do have an S curve of about 23 degrees. So, but at that point of like diagnosis, when I was probably 15 or 16 years old, I was like, this is the end of the world. Like I, I basically, I got frustrated because at that point I, I was lifting. Um, it wasn't it wasn't with a lot of weight, but I was engaged in physical activity at that point. And I thought that diagnosis of having scoliosis would essentially eliminate all my ability to do anything like that. What I did find though, is there are certain exercises that just don't work with me biomechanically. Um, I love squats and I used to squat really heavy, but I would go on this routine of squatting heavy for six months. And then I would absolutely like throw my, my SI out so bad. I couldn't walk um, and I would have to go to the chiropractor for about what seemed like a month straight in order to get that back in. And I would go on the cycle again of throwing it back out and going and getting it fixed. And it was just a continuous cycle of that. And then I, a couple of years later, I found out that deadlifts, um, even though I, I, I switched from conventional to sumo, sumo deadlifts just don't, they don't work with me that good. And I kept fighting that process of like, I have to include these. I, I absolutely have to include these exercises because if I want a good physique, I have to squat heavy or I have to deadlift heavy. And once I lost that mentality of, of thinking that way, it, it changed everything. You know, um, my back has been great for the last year and a half just for the fact of I, I don't do those exercises or I don't try to do exercises that that cause that lower back pain to inflame up. And I think that's hard for a lot of people to accept, um, specifically if they're not aware of what's going on and they, they think they have to do those exercises and it's like, Oh, no pain, no gain. Like I'm just going to go in and I'm going to squat and my, my lower back is already wrecked, but here I am, I'm just going to keep pushing it. So having that mentality and, and leaving it behind is something that can benefit so many people. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's not easy going, you know, going back to what we talked about in the first half of the podcast, it's not easy. It's not easy to accept things like that. We all have our limitations. You know, most of us don't have IFBB pro bodybuilder genetics, but we want, we, we direly want to look like them. So many people. And what happens is it's really funny because we compare ourselves to the outliers and outliers are never good for statistical analysis. Like you can't use LeBron James in a study. He's a case study. He's a single person case study and you look at the case study and you go like this. Holy shit, this is insane. But you can't like you can't derive conclusions from outliers. You can if you want, but it's 
it's so biased and it's so geared towards skewed data. So that's the thing is it's like, you know, I tell people your care to, and to, to finish it up, whatever care you're going to have in life, it's got to be something that you want to adhere to and that you enjoy. Sometimes you can't, you can't have a choice. If you break your leg in half, like I did, my leg was like this, you need surgery. But there are certain people that say to me, look, man, I'm not comfortable with you spinal manipulating my neck. I'm not going to sit there and show them the current literature on spinal manipulation and uh, vertebral artery dissection correlation because you have a better chance of being struck by lightning literally once to two times than me stroking you out. If chiropractors stroked people out in the way that medical doc, this is not a mean thing to say, it's just the truth, the way that medical doctors have iatrogenic death in hospital, death by mal, by malpractice, that happens 250,000 times a year on the whole world. Mixed medications. They killed my grandma. My grandma was a prime example. They didn't read her chart. They gave her the wrong clotting medication. She had a disorder. She died in six hours. That's what happened to my dad's mom. Clear as day. You know, and um, there's also the other side of like money being involved. It's more mainstream. Medical doctors have the big pharma has billions of dollars to lobby with. And that doesn't matter to me. People could do what they want. When someone says to me, chiropractors are quacks, chiropractors are not real doctors, you're a fake doctor, uh, you're not smart, I literally look at them and when they don't even know what to say, because what do most people do? If I was to go to X person on Instagram and say, you're a fake doctor because you have a PhD, most of them would lose their shit. But if you looked at me and you said, oh, you're a, you're a quack, I would say this to them. You know what? I don't like that you say that, but you know what? You're a separate person. You can think whatever you want. I know a great physical therapist to refer you to. They just, they look at you like this. They don't even know what to do. They're like, wait, wait, what? You're not like, I was like, yeah, like, you don't, I, don't, I mean, I don't like green beans. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be like, you know what I mean? You need to eat green beans. It's like, no, I just don't like them. I don't like painting. Like, you know what I mean? I'm not a fan of chiropractic. Who cares if they believe in it or not? That's irrelevant. Do you know how many people are going to tell you, Hunter? How many people out there in the fitness industry straight say this, this exact sentence? Macros don't matter. I can name five IFBB professional coaches right now that I used to follow that have made posts that said specifically, I don't use macros because they don't matter. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. Do what you want. Who cares? There's plenty yeah. of people, Hunter. There's plenty of people that are going to believe in you. They're going to believe in me. Some people we're going to help. Some people are we're not going to help. Some people are going to talk bad about us. We have to accept all of that, you know. And that's the, that's the end of the story, man. It just comes down to, again, unconditional acceptance that you can't hot, you can't run from every argument. People are going to talk bad about you. You're going to have in a 35 career, Hunter. You're going to have someone who says this. Oh my gosh, I hated Hunter. He was an idiot. You can freak out about that, or you could just say this. That sucks. That makes me frustrated, but oh well. Yeah. You know? And that no. takes time. That This isn't going to come easy. I told you, I've been working on this for 18 months, spending 30 minutes a day or so, an hour, reading cognitive behavioral therapy, reading stoicism. It's not easy. I'm learning another language. Like, it literally is. And... um. That's just the way it is, man. You know, I thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, I think just to give a, a heads up to whoever's listening or going to listen to this, I think something, a great podcast that you and me can do in the future is business. Strictly talking about what it's like to be an independent contractor. What are, uh, what are the struggles I'm facing right now being open for three months? Some value I may, you know, talking about mistakes we both make. And that way we'll go, we'll split it. We'll do like 30 minutes of my business and 30 minutes of your business and we'll just we'll just collaborate. Yeah, so that that sounds awesome. One thing I just want to end this podcast with, Nick, is to either ask you uh, a favorite quote that you have seen in the past or that you have right now or just a small like one piece of information that you can leave the viewers with that they can take away that can positively impact uh, the rest of their week or the rest of the month. I know one. No, good one. Again, from Dr. Albert Ellis. Nobody triggers us. Nobody, tr no one makes us angry. Your belief makes you angry. 
Not that that situation wasn't stressful or wasn't frustrating, but that person is not triggering you. That person is not triggering you. Your belief that they must listen to you, they must respect you, is the driving factor of why you're angry. Once you accept someone unconditionally, they can literally look at you and say this, RDs are idiots. And you just say, that sucks that you think that, but that's okay. The end. That's what I want to end it with right there. Awesome. Well, I just want to say thank you to Nick. So in order to close this week's podcast out, thank you again. Thank you again, Nick, for coming on to the HP Fit Podcast. Um, to my viewers, as always, stay active, mindful, ambitious in your journey to becoming the best version of yourself. Until next time, checking out. Later.